This week on The Native Immigrants, we talk about the use of the N-word recently on the BBC and how would we feel as a community if they'd used the P-word. The Native Immigrants are in the building. Hit the music. Salutations and welcome to another episode of the Native Immigrants. I'm your host, Swami Barakas, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jojo underscore B. What's going on, Jojo B? Hello! Uh, sorry, everyone. Apologies to everyone uh, for this show going out a day later than normal. And whose fault is that? Obviously yours. How's it mine? It wasn't my birthday this week. Okay. <laughs> What? <laughs> I can't even build anything up with you, can I? No, because I everything even... has to be my fucking fault. Well, it wasn't my now... fault, it was your fault. Because it's your birthday. Yeah, but... Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was my birthday this week. I'm not, I can't even Happy do... Happy fucking I birthday. Can't even do... I literally can't even do anything. Even on my own birthday Happy week. Happy I can't even birthday. have this moment. I can't even have this moment. I can't even say it was my birthday this week. Because you're just like... No. Button straight away. not saying anything <laughs> um it, it was my birthday this week um thank you to everyone um uh, so many people overwhelmingly um got in touch to give me some well wishes and mm, some everyone love birthday you. celebration uh tweets and posts and messages and everything i'm yeah very 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 thankful uh for all my great friends family followers fans um, yeah, I, I certainly felt, uh, you know, like I'd uh, accomplished something getting through another year that day. Well done. Yeah, no, it was, it was you know. How was it for you, Jojo B? I made a really good fucking cake. She really did. She really did. And it deserved the fucking. It was a really good fucking cake. It deserved the fucking. <laughs> did you then shag the cake afterwards? No, but it was so good. It was shaggable. And, <laughs> and... I got you a great card. Yes. And I'm the best wife in the world. Um, yeah, no, yeah. That was um it was an amazing cake, I can't lie. Um it was gluten-free as well as chocolate, as well as all the good yes, uh, the because goodness. I wanted to eat it. Yeah. And whenever there's any other birthday cakes anywhere else, I can't eat them. So I made one that I could eat. Yes, yeah. And we indulged. In fact, we're probably gonna indulge in another slice of this after we recorded the show. Mm. For um, you know, added no, bonus. I'm not though. I'm not. What? My, I, so I, what I do, I did this with my birthday cake as well, because I'm trying to like not overindulge and just undo all the hard work that I've done, which by the way, I spoke to my GP today and she was like, so it's taken you like four months to lose a stone. Hmm. <laughs> I was like, fuck off you bitch. Right. Anyway. Yeah. She made me feel really shit. I'm not like, oh, well done that you've lost a stone, even though you're trying to manage your life and, you know, and trying to stay sane because I haven't been sane for a long time mm. and all of this stuff. No. Oh, it's taken you four months to lose a stone, has it? Wow. I didn't tell you this, did I? No, no I didn't tell no. you this. I'm glad you said it on the show. That's why I, I was really pissed off all day because I've had her fucking voice in my head all day. Oh, dear. I was so angry, honestly. My GP, support absolute the, support joke. Support the NHS people. 
Anyway, um, yeah, do support the NHS because generally they're very good. But my GP's shit. Oh, Just London GP's shit. Anyway, sorry. If Shout you're a, to all my London GPs. <laughs> sorry if you're a London GP. But the ones <laughs> I've come across, the ones I've come across have been really bad. Okay. Anyway. Defend yourselves. Let us know on our, on our social media Are you platforms. shit or are you not? <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> I've lost my train of thought. Yeah, so yeah, you weren't feeling great. But, you know, it's she, you did deliver an amazing cake. Um, oh, yeah, this is what, so what I'd done with my birthday cake, which we then ate, consequently, anyway, mm. and your birthday cake, is that I slice it and then I wrap it up and I put it in the freezer so that we can kind of, like, not have it all in one go, yeah. which is what I really want to do because I think your it's birthday easy cake... to do as well. Your birthday cake was better than mine in that I decided to, like... Your one was pretty try sick. Some, Yeah, mine was good, but your one, like... I. You know, I tried something new. Whipped ganache. Mm. Oh, my God. <laughs> so good. Um, so, yes. So, it's in the freezer. So, there's a slice left for you. But the rest of it's gone in the freezer. Mm, yeah. For, for a rainy day. Yeah. And so week. that, you know, it doesn't take me another four months to lose another stone. And so I get judged by my GP. <laughs> it's just like, you know what? Screw oh, you. Dear. Dear, dear, so man. angry. And also just like really unhelpful. For, for the the thing the that I went, to, yeah, for the thing that I went to talk to her about, she was massively unhelpful, and so I've just got to figure it out myself. Anyway, oh breathe, breathe, yeah. Judge breathe. Yeah. Yes, and calm, and calm. Um, but yeah, another another year, another milestone for me, um, and another milestone in that it was seven year anniversary of the recipe mixtape, yeah. my mixtape, also coincided in this past week. Um, which was uh, a massive project in my life. Uh, and all those years of hard work and focus and dedication into putting out a, a project that was mine, um, that was a lot of years in the making. And um, it's crazy. I, I just found some of the, the CDs and I, I posted saying, oh my God, I found some of the old you know copies of the mixtape and stuff and bringing back loads of memories. And so many people have basically now got in touch with me wanting a signed copy of the of the mixtape, you know, that's really nice. It was yeah, it was just, it was really surprising um, that people still had such a you know amazing interest in it, um, and they were willing to pay for it as well. Don't you know? be surprised; it's a good project. I thought it was really really good. Not mate, I, I'll toot my horn. It's like one of the best UK hip hop projects of all time. Um, <laughs> but you know, the fact that it's seven years ago, and you know, in that time, so much has happened basically in my life. So I haven't been able to record and write as much material as I would have liked to in the last few years. But there's still a massively loyal fan base that was still there during that period that that also, you know, still rooting for me, you know. Um, and I've been telling you, you need to write some more you know do like daddy diaries or something and you know and just it just the the life that you've had in the last few years like what's happened and what's been going on yeah yeah no, I, I would say I'm, I'm back to, i am back to writing i am back to recording um so you will hear some new material from me um but in regards to the recipe it's um amazing that so many people were asking for it um these signed copies all going out this week and Yay. if you would also like a signed copy of the recipe mixtape then get in touch with me you yeah. know all i ask for is a small contribution towards it i'm not asking for much whatever you want to give me is Look, thankful if it's like 10 pence yes it's 10 pence exactly if it's 10 pounds it's 10 pounds whatever people would like to give i'm you know i'm i'm one of those people that anything i get is a bonus and a blessing 
And, you know, for me, the project is what it's worth to the listeners, you know. So and if you have a spare, you know, £500,000 and want to buy us a house, then go for it. Exactly. You know, like, there just do no it. There is no limit. There is no limit to yeah. this. Um, but you will be getting an amazing project of UK hip hop with some of the legends of the scene featured in some of the tracks, some great producers, up and comers, uh, as well as some, you know, some solid artists. And so, yeah, if you want a signed copy of the mixtape, please get in touch with me and uh, we'll organize it and you can get and make it happen. When you say up and comers. Well, they were up and coming then. Seven years ago. Seven years ago. Yeah. <laughs> they're still up and coming. They're still like up what? and coming. Yeah, exactly. One day they'll make a name for themselves. <laughs> One day. Um, you know, but I'd like to think that with that project, it was, you know, a good chance for me to showcase some new artists as well as, um, you know, work with some established artists. So there's mm -hmm. a mix of like a lot of different things going on. Um, it's a project that I'm really, really proud about. And I'm so glad that the listenership and the audience also feel the same way for it. There's some happy memories. You got together around that time. Yeah, it was around about that the period, exactly. And uh, it was fun times. <laughs> it was fun times. It was fun times. No, because you, like, you went to tea in the park. Yep. And that was just an adventure in itself. Mm. It was hilarious. I've never seen so much mud in my life. Yep, yep. Um, and then you were on Radio 1. I was on BBC Radio 1, yes, as I well. I made everyone in my week. office listen to it. Shout out to you, Jojo B. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was just a great time period. And, you know, I can't, I was thinking about this the other day. I can't keep saying, oh, those are the good times and those are the good memories. And that was all a good time period in my life because there is opportunities for new memories and new, you know, experiences and, yeah. and new epic moments still to come. Can't live in the past. Exactly. You know, there's a lot more that can still happen. Um, we just need to put our mind, focus, and drive towards it. And anything is possible. Um, so, Back to the podcast. Yes. The native immigrants. Music yes. is great, but this is our ting. Um, so what's been happening this week? Well, we championed a suitable boy last week. <laughs> yes, we did. You know, really pushed across the fact that um it's a first episode. You know, we can't judge it all on on one show. And and some of the criticism we felt was a little bit unmerited. Uh, so what was it gonna be like in the following week? Well, episode two just aired this past Sunday, and I, for one, I'm a little bit mixed in my thought process behind it. Yeah, I felt like episode two started well, and then towards the end I was like, huh? Yeah. The acting got a bit, like, hammy. Hammy is the word I was going to use. Uh, thank you for stealing it. It I'm just sorry. It, it did come across, yeah, it came across really hammy. Like, it was a little bit over-the-top but not in um yeah not in a kind of good way and i know that was like there was this kind of crowd of very pretentious middle class types mm. around india yeah at that time um they were like a new middle class that was emerging i think um so i kind of get what they were trying to do but it just didn't come off very I didn't get well. it. I, I, just, I didn't. I just that's didn't. the thing. I, like we spoke about this while the show was airing, and you were like, "But if you listen, if you read the book, this is not how it is. If you read the book, it but comes across a different book, way." There's a lot of nuance, and it's kind of like you understand that these people have illusions of grandeur, and they're just like they're the new elite of India, and like, and they act like it, and they and they kind of hark back to that kind of colonial like. 
just the way of speaking and the mannerisms and stuff and trying to be all well-mannered and what they think is civilized mm. and so it's just so much better explained and you get a much better idea of it in the book yeah but what see the, the issue i have with that is you we can't keep defending the show no, saying I'm not yeah but like the sh- but the, if you read the book then you'll know because I'd like to think a massive majority of the audience that are watching this show are people that haven't read the book. Yeah. And so we can't look at it from the fact that, oh, well, the book shows it this way. So watch the show, but then read the book, but then watch the show, but then no, read the book. No, but I'm not, I'm not trying to defend it. I'm just saying that that is done better in the book. Mm. And so it just hasn't come across on screen. Mm. And that is partly the writing and partly the acting. Yeah. And I, it's just a shame because... If it was done right, you probably would have been able to be in on the joke. Mm, but I don't yeah. think we I are. I think, across, I think it's kind of like where we are, like we're supposed to see that that's how it is. If you know what I mean? Like that's how it came across that these people are trying to be this way. Mm. And it's not like, look at these people, how daft they are. Yeah. Which is kind of from what I remember of the book anyway, what that's the kind of impression that I got when I read it. Um, but yeah, I just, I was a bit, I was a bit underwhelmed. Yeah, no, I I also felt that it was the way it came across, especially in that second episode, it almost came across like a, you know, like a daytime uh, housewife soap, you know, something that would be on like a, a you know, BBC One or, or Channel Five. It's almost like, I, I, I don't know why I've got Darling Buds of May in my mind, but you know, that kind of like inoffensive style TV drama that, you know, targets a specific uh, audience. Yeah. You know, and I, I kind of felt like from, you know, the the first episode being quite, you know, hard hitting, uh, the second one, I felt kind of took that momentum away from it slightly. Yeah. I'll keep watching. No, 100%. And I think that's what it, we've got to look at it as, you know, we said in the first episode that this show is going to be a marathon, not a sprint. And so you can't throw all your eggs in one basket with the first episode and be like, no, I'm done with this. You know, we watched two episodes. One, one's been great. One's been kind of so-so. Uh, let's judge it once we've seen the whole thing. And, but and I would understand judgment. now after the second episode of people just were like, I'm not watching this because, you know, people's time is precious. Yeah. Even in this, this age of being at home a lot, your time is still precious. And so do you want to waste it on something after you've given it a go for two episodes? Although I would argue that you should keep watching just to see because the storyline should get better unless mm. they've massively messed with it. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't think I would blame these people for switching off. And there's a lot of people who said that they tried it for a, a second time and just it's not for them. Yeah. And fair enough, I reckon. But it's weird. We I saw a lot of people that actually preferred this episode to the first one as well. So A lot happened. They'd crammed a lot in, I thought, into this mm. episode. And I'm not sure... That really benefited the story. Yeah. But some people would argue otherwise, I suppose. Yeah, no, exactly. But we're going to absolutely give it a go. Um, but we will call a spade a spade uh, by the end of it. But let's let's see how this story develops. Yeah. Uh, also on TV this week it was a show from the Our Lives series on BBC One. And this particular episode was called Bhangra or Bust. Yes. And it was about the big Bhangra showdowns yeah. that take place uh, in Birmingham. 
Uh, I did. I I was completely unaware of these things even existing. To be so fair, I know that they did competitions in Canada because I've seen that stuff online. Mm. Um, I didn't know there was such massive competitions here. But it's weird. But it's you know it's weird. It's like when I think about it now, why wouldn't there be? Yeah, exactly. You know? We're just not in that world, I guess. No, exactly. Um, I'm so far away from the whole bunger scene uh, for a while now, um, and so the thought of these kind of things taking place was just like a. A real eye opener, but at the same time, really shouldn't be because you know the the subculture is like immensely huge in the but UK. I think they're mostly like f- from this episode anyway. It seemed like it was mostly uni societies yeah. that yes. are doing these shows, these dance shows. So it's a bit kind of like if you've seen Pitch Perfect, where they have yeah, you know yeah, the competitions yeah. and stuff. It's like that. But then you think like, well, the, the age group of a lot of the dancers are would be people in there late teens early 20s anyway so then that is a uni market you mean like dancers in general young people yes, yes. okay well, do you remember what those people were like what people so long that since young. i was young wow wow um it hasn't really been that long it just feels like a long time ago shut up get that show um yes so i really enjoyed it i thought it was really good that's the thing you know so uh, you know we always watch these things with a with a pinch of salt um I don't know why we're so skeptical about about shows that involve South Asians in the UK. It didn't just inherently embedded into our system that this is they're going to end up being a bit of a disappointment. And really pleasantly surprised by how good this was. It was only half an hour long. Yeah, we got really um, involved though. It would be drama. Really involved. I think I almost felt really emotionally invested in the characters in it. You know, and specifically we're talking about Birmingham Uni. So Birmingham versus Aston is how they pitch this. Yes. Two different Bangla societies. That are only like a stone's throw away from each yeah. other. So in each uni, there's the Bangla society and they're competing in this competition. Mm. And there's like a rivalry because it's obviously like intercity. Mm. Rival- and the competition was in Birmingham. Yep, yep. And yeah, so we got really invested in these like, in these people who are dancing in each yeah. of these groups. And th- there was definitely like um, a protagonist antagonist um style with the editing in the show so aston very much came across as this kind of like powerhouse antagonist um uh, and i think it was uh ishan the main guy who was uh, the kind of captain of the troop um, there's something hilarious about him there was yeah because he just had this kind of supreme confident machismo yeah um way about him and stuff and so he came across very unlikable and i don't know whether that was I'm sure he's a very lovely person. This is the thing, exactly. I don't know whether they, you know, threw him under the bus a little bit, basically, with the way it was edited. Um, but, you know, he came across as this really, like, kind of unlikable guy. And so you're then rooting for for Birmingham to, to usurp them uh, with their group. And then you had, like, you know, people within that the Bunga group in Birmingham that had, there was a stories in itself where there was one girl, Preeti, I think it was, yeah. that had an ankle problem and it was like a will she or won't she kind of make it on the, the day itself. Yeah. Um, then you had like Hari, who was a Gujarati guy. A Guju. Doing Bangla. Yeah. Bro, we show you mans how it's done I mean, every he, single he was struggling. time. He was struggling, but he tried his best. Well, he's struggling, but from the start of the episode to the end, he was pretty much like on par with all the rest of them. Which just shows that when you put your mind to it, you can beat these men. I mean, no. I don't want to give too much away if you haven't seen the show. <laughs> but yeah, um, um, yeah, uh, yeah. We can tell you how it all basically ended up. Jojo B's just fucking done that anyway. 
Um, but uh, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Um, but I would actually encourage you all to watch it because it's just really well done. And it was I think- really fun. It was really nice to see um, like Asians doing something that was positive and lovely. And yes, it's about Bangla again. And that's all we ever kind of get shown doing either that or terrorism or forced marriages. But, Wait! Stop! Stop your no, fuck! No! No! It's no, always like, oh, look no, at the colourful Asians, and no. it was, but it There's was just so difference. nice to see the Punjabi culture being talked about. And thank you. Yeah. It's a massive. You cannot put Bangra in the same conversation no, like, as forced marriages like, and like terrorism. Singy, songy, that's dancey, dancey ridiculous. type stuff. But it was really nice to see that these that these people were trained dancers how hard they train Mm, and how hard they work and you know some of their individual stories and just how like this is a really kind of positive force in their lives and they were really proud to rep their Punjabi culture exactly exactly and I I I was yeah I was really it reminded you that you were Punjabi as well for like half an hour of your life at the same time I know I'm Punjabi but you know what it's so hard now for me to like I don't connect that much anymore. Mm. Partly because I married you, and partly don't blame because, that shit no, on me, fam. I'm still fam- Hindu and Gujarati and repping my roots. Partly because my family are miles away, I never get to see them, especially in this time. You know, I haven't seen any of my family for months, and also I just fell out of love with new Bhangra music. Mm. But that was the, the show actually um, showcased a lot of like the traditional side of Bhangra music, which is more akin to the kind of things you like. Um, yeah, they're kind of more slightly old school. Yeah, it wasn't like kind of, you didn't hear any like Sidhu tunes playing on there or like in the new kind of age kind of Bhangra tunes. So, um, yeah. you know, it's it, it was a showcase of real Bhangra, um, real Bhangra dancers. Uh, and yeah, like you said, people that really represented their culture um, to the best of their ability. And so, yeah, I was hoping it would be like a longer series. It looks like it's just a one-off show, but it would have been nice to have kind of seen how you know, the, the relationships amongst each of them develop and, um, you know, the intense rivalry between the two unis and, um, yeah, would have been nice to. But um, that's what we want. We want to see more representation on television. Uh, this was a small glimpse into it. And we hopefully end up seeing more like this in the future. Yes. <laughs> Please, more. So, thank you, more. for that retort. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, and lastly, on this half, uh, something that's been brought to our attention by our good friend Azjad Nazir of the Eastern Eye, um, who recently um, wrote an article about uh, a big issue currently within the celebrity circle in India. And it's regarding the business of fake followers. Uh, according to initial reports, there's over 170 high-profile people in India, including stars in film, music, and sports that are paid to get fake social media followers, along with manufactured likes on posts. Providing a fake social media boost to high-profile personalities becomes such a big business in India that as many as 54 firms are reportedly involved in what has been described as a huge racket. Authorities in India are taking this so seriously that a special task force has been formed to investigate it. I didn't realize this was a police thing, but in India, it's such a massive business. And I guess celebrities are profiting from it because with the amount of followers they have, they didn't get any lucrative endorsement and brand deals. So they're getting their paper on the side from that in the first place. Mm. Um, 
And so, yeah, I never realized this was that big a, a deal in terms of authorities getting involved in this side of things. It's weird, though, because a lot of the celebs that are involved are massive celebs anyway. So you would think that they wouldn't need to bother with that stuff. Yeah. But I guess they're being like, they're defrauding the brands that are working with them. Mm. I wonder, I really wonder how many like stars from over here, mm. not just Asian stars, just generally yeah. in the UK are up to the same kind of shit. Yeah, I think is I I'm surprised that uh anyone in India, especially those big celebrities, when you're talking about uh you know Bollywood and that that scene and and the fact that there's a billion people in India mm. um of which like you know at least half if not 60 to 70% of those people know these stars. Mm. You wouldn't have to worry about getting more followers, especially when you've got a global appeal. Um, and so, I, if anything, I would thought people here would be doing it more because there isn't that kind of widespread, you know, like exposure as such. And yeah. so you're more likely to basically get fake followers and fake views and all this kind of stuff. I um, wonder if they count those like weird bots and stuff. I've got loads of like weird bots following me <laughs> and I've got also a load of weird men from the subcontinent mm. who are inappropriate yeah um following me as well did you pay to get those no i block them actively when they ever ever get in touch because usually they're trying to stay they're really like hi ma'am yeah. or they are sending me dick pics Sick. so um yeah so just block yeah, yeah blocking all the way yeah yeah no fair play i i've i've never really I've never really like not even come across the world of how you even get fake followers and fake Yeah, where do you views. buy them from? Who's, that's the thing. Who runs the business? That's what I'm this saying, out? bruv. There's a, there's a massive business in that in itself. Because uh, I've, you know, I'm not going to name any names of people. There's, there's not the show for that, obviously. Um, but I've seen artists that have gone from like, like a hundred views after like two or three days. And then it's shot to like 30,000 on the fourth and fifth day <laughs> with like no additional comments and only like a few additional likes and stuff. And so you're just like, okay, come on, bro. Who the fuck are you trying to fool here? Yeah. Um, you know, but now this, this is, this is almost like four or five years ago. Now people are getting to like million views a day, 2 million views after two days. But then these tracks are nowhere near, like any mainstream chart, they're nowhere near any kind of like the 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 big kind of pop charts of the world, but they're getting the same equivalent numbers to, you know, your biggest like pop artists out there right now. Yeah. So then you're just like, well, how does that compute, you know? Um, so it's it's such a it's such a weird avenue and I I've never really seen the um the reward behind it because no one's actually watching these videos like yeah, to and, that extent and how do you have that sense of pride then exactly. like you can't you just know it's a sham inside you know that it's a sham yeah. and you have to live with that and on the outside you can be like oh mr big man or you know mrs big boots yeah. but like you know inside there's just a lie yeah and exactly. so where's the reward in that i suppose people just want to seem like they're but doing it's, it's, well and you know super popular but it's it's in, the, in that same regard because i've actually been told um by radio heads uh, and people in these executive rooms that they look at your social media following and your numbers and then they base that uh in terms of 
whether they're going to playlist you or not on their radio stations oh, and stuff. And so, you know, you you're you could have a track side by side with another artist, um, equal in quality, equal in, you know, everything. Um, but it will be the determining factor whether this stuff actually gets on radio is based on your social media following. Is that why there's so much bullshit on the radio? Probably, potentially, yes. Um, it's um it's very it's all about, you know, influential um fan bases um and w whether they're manufactured or whether they're uh you know real or not or who who's to say um but it, we're do, living in a day of stats rather than quality i do despair of the world that we are living in with social media sometimes it's just like oh for fuck's sake it really is not the be all and end all mm. but i suppose it's starting to be yeah yeah exactly um it's a, yeah, it's, it's, it, this thing has always gone on for a long time. It looks like it's only really getting worse. Um, and it's, it's only used to stroke people's egos. And so whether you're in India doing it, whether you're here or in Canada or America doing the same thing. Um, yeah, I think if, if, it was, if all of a sudden there was a click of the finger and, and everyone's views dropped to what actual people are listening to, I think it'd be an incredibly, incredibly interesting, uh, exercise yes. and to see who's actually popping or not um, that would be very interesting you should everyone should watch the social media episode of i may destroy you yeah yeah exactly exactly it encompasses a lot of what we're talking about right now mm. right but that's the end of this half of the native immigrants when we're back on the other side we're going to be discussing two very divisive words uh in our language and society here in the UK, the N-word and the P-word. See you on the other side, people. the second half of the native immigrants i'm swami barakas and i'm jojo b and on this half of the show uh, we're going to be talking about something that's happened recently on the bbc which has caused a major uproar justifiably uh from our perspective but what's happened jojo b so on the 29th of july a news report went out at 10 30 in the morning mm. on points west and the BBC News Channel reporting on an incident that happened to an NHS worker in, in um, Bristol right. where he was attacked. He was racially abused and he was attacked um, really horrifically. And so they were reporting on this and they showed images of his injuries. They spoke to the victim and then they gave a warning mm -hmm. and said that they were going to use some upsetting language. Mm -hmm. And then they went on to say the N-word. Right. The reporter said the N-word. She set it up mm. actually like she was going to say N-word. Right. You know, as in the phrase N-word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually what she said was the actual N-word. Right. At 10.30 in the morning. Mm. And obviously there was massive uproar at yep. this because 
And we've spoken about this before, but that word is very loaded. It's very offensive. Mm. And for it to just be said so nonchalantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, there was a warning given, but not much of a warning. And she literally says it 10 seconds after, mm, you yeah. know, as part of the same sentence. It just made no sense to me when I saw the clip. It was just her- horrifying. Um, and they received a lot of complaints. Of course. And just justified the use of it. And didn't they haven't apologized? And also in the same week, yeah, it was then said again, <laughs> yeah, on BBC Two, in a repeat of a program that had originally been on BBC Four about American history. The historian Lucy Worsley is um, reading an excerpt of a speech made by someone in American history, yeah, 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 yeah. and the N word is used, and she just says it, yeah. <laughs> And it was a repeat from 2019. Right. It originally yeah. been BBC4. They showed it on BBC2 this time. So obviously had a wider viewership. Yeah. And again, people were like twice in the same week. Mm. Like, what is the BBC doing? Because I saw a tweet from Krishna Guru Murthy and he was just like, they would never use the F word. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck, of course not. Basically. Or the C word. Yeah. Cunt. <laughs> <laughs> they would never use those words you, at 10.30 in the morning. Yeah. So why is the N-word, which I am yeah, not exactly. going to say, why would that be okay mm. to be used? Yeah. Well, in actual fact, it has, actually has more gravitas to it because of the history of that word and the connotations behind it, which are so much more powerful than saying the F or the C word, to be honest. Yeah. And they they put out a statement and they said that, well, you know, we gave warnings. And well, this is exactly this, what they said, if you want to know. Okay, um, yeah. They said, we accept that this has caused offence, but we would like people to understand why we took the decision that we did. Uh, they said that the victim's family asked us specifically to show the photos of this man's injuries and were also determined that we should report the racist language in full alleged to have been spoken by the occupants of the car. Notwithstanding the family's wishes, we independently considered whether the use of the word was editorially justified given the context. The word is used on air rarely, and in this case, as with all cases, the decision to use it in full was made by a team of people, including a number of senior editorial figures. I'd love to know whether some of these senior editorial figures were in actual fact members of the black community as well, but because it's the Beeb... I very much doubt that. I highly doubt that. And so they would never have understood the level of offence that could be taken by using that word. Again, at 10.30 in the morning. Mm. You know, children are watching this. Yes. And I don't care what anyone says. There might have been context, whatever. If you hear a word like that, it then normalises the use of that word. And that word should never be normalised. That word should not be any other broadcaster... I feel, would have said the N-word. Yeah, exactly. They would never have actually said the actual word. No, of course not. And I think it's horrifying that the BBC thought it was okay. In At at the same time, and again, I've seen this um, said across social media, within the same few days, there was all the controversy around Wiley and his awful tweets about the Jewish community Mm. and how they, they said that it was not possible to show the content of his tweets yes. on, I think it was on Newsnight. Mm. They refused to show it, and rightly so, because it was offensive and it was horrible prejudice that he was spouting. Yeah. In that same week, they thought it was 
okay, okay to say to, the N word. Yeah. Yeah. How does that work out? Yeah. I just, uh, yeah, I'm, I was shocked and I was disgusted and there's no, there's no justifying it. That's the thing. Yeah. For me, it was like, what difference would it have made saying that word? And then just by saying the N word, we would all know what that word means. I think the great majority of people watching that would know if you said the N word, we'd know what the N word is. Everyone knows what that means. Exactly. So to then, you know, reference the actual word um, as a means of justifying, um, you know, verbating what the things that are being said uh, made absolutely no sense. Uh, obviously, the outcries and the outpouring of complaints have been huge uh, ever since uh, that broadcast. Uh, uh, but in terms of us and our community, you mm. know, I relate this conversation almost back to the conversation we had a few weeks ago on our show on solidarity, where we talked about how we as a community need to do more uh, to support the black community during this time period, um, you know, more than ever. And especially with something like this, yet again, we see a lot of our people silent. Um, yep. Now, what we've got to understand is that that word um, has been used for centuries now um, against the black community. It's also a word that was said to our community when we first came over here uh, from East Africa and India back in the 50s, 60s and 70s. Um, I'm not saying at all that, you know, it's a word that that classes us all in that same bracket. No, because but- that word was used against black people you know, for centuries in, and it led to their death. Yes. You know, people were murdered whilst that word was being said to them. Mm, Yeah. And, and I think that, yes, you know, it's been used against our community as well in the past, but it doesn't have that same connotation. No, of course not. No, of course not. Um, But prejudice is something that both of our communities have faced Um, and continue to face to this day Mm. and so when you see injustice taking place and when something like this happens you know I feel it's our our duty to call it out yeah Um, especially because we've endured the same now in the UK there is a word that we've been um, like a slurred term basically that we've been called um it's we know it as the p word um and you know it it made me think um with this all happened in the last week or so what the reaction would have been from our community had it been the p word used um in the middle of the day um not once but twice within the space of a week um i'm absolutely you know, confident to to think that there would have been just as big a, an outcry from our community, um, for sure. Um, but why was that same sentiment not echoed here? It goes back to the things that we've spoken about in our previous shows about us not standing side by side with the black community, mm. us not feeling like the N-word being said in any way affects us. Mm, yeah. But it does. Yeah, if course. you normalize the use 
of that language, you also normalize the use of things like the P word being exactly. said. Exactly. And whether that's on news broadcasts or whether that's in the street, that will be become that will become more and more accepted. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to go back to that world mm. that we lived in before where people could outwardly, openly just say these things to you in the street. Yeah. You know, yeah. I do remember seeing skinheads and, and, and crossing the road because you didn't want to be seen by them. Yeah. And I don't want to go back to that world. And I feel like we're slowly slipping into that realm again. Yeah, yeah. And the use of this language, whether they meant it with any offense or not, it was thoughtless at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. And if no thought is given to us or to the black community or to any of the other minority communities in this country, we will then become subject to this open prejudice. And we all know that it has been coming back. We've all faced it one way or another, yeah. you know, whether that's microaggressions or actual proper aggression in the street. Yes. But it will become more and more prevalent. And I think we have to take a stand and say, no, we don't accept the use of that word on TV. Yes. Not only is it offensive to the black community, it's offensive to us that you should think that it's okay to use slurs that are prejudicial to any minority yes, yes. in this country. We will not accept that. We will stand side by side with the black community and object to yeah. all of this going on 100 percent. no wholeheartedly agree when we talk about the p word i guess specifically um you know a, a word that's obviously like i said has been um brandished on our communities um still gets brandished on our communities um a very divisive word even within our own communities i've got to say mm -hmm. um because it's you know it's a word i guess that's it's been embraced a lot by the Pakistani community. Um, it's embraced a lot by a lot of Asians, I think. But not in. I don't think. I don't think as someone that's from an Indian background can get away with saying that word. And I'm gonna say, when I was younger, I used to say it a lot, and that might be to do with the fact that most of my friends were Pakistani and Bangladeshi. Mm. But we just said it because it was like, well. As many of the black community do with the N-word, it's a word that's been used against us. Yeah. You can't use it, but I can. Yeah. I yeah. reclaim that word. And, you know, I don't feel that way anymore. I don't want to reclaim that word. I want to reject that word completely. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when you're young, you don't really think it through that much, I suppose. Um, so you I used to be ashamed to, of yourself. No, I'm not, I'm not ashamed of <laughs> no, it. I no, own up to it. I, My dad used to get really upset if he heard me say that word. Yeah. He would be like, you don't understand what we went through and what we had to deal with. I mean, my dad was chased out in the street by teddy boys back in the day, you know, like he had to deal with that shit. Yeah. He, you know, him and my uncles had their heads kicked in. Yeah. Like that's, that's the world that they lived in. And so for him to hear me saying that word, mm. he was really upset by it and he hated ever hearing me say it. So I never said it in front of him, Yeah, but I did used to say it because I was like, well, that's my word to use. Mm. Yeah. It's almost like things that I'm allowed to call myself this, but if you yeah. ever dare call it to me, I'll... I'll you know, yeah, in the same way that if a black person wants to say the N-word, they can say it. It's their word yeah. to use and to reclaim. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to use that word. Yeah, yeah, of course, of you course. Know? Of course. And with the, with the P-word now, 
I also don't want to use it anymore. Yeah, the, well, this is the thing. But I think now even it's become a word that's now um, segregated itself, you know, within our own communities as well. You know, whereas it's 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 still very much embraced by the the Pakistani community. Um, yeah, my, a lot of my Pakistani friends still say it. Exactly. Um, I remember I was on a, a radio show a number of years ago, and that must be at least a, a decade or more. Um, I think it was Sonia Diol's show, or the old one on BBC Asian Network, and it was about the P word and the usage of it in rap. And um, it was me on one side, and I can't remember the name of the rapper um, because he's no, obviously no longer rapping. I haven't seen him, but he was a, a rapper of Pakistani descent, mm. uh, British Pakistani. Um, and we were talking about the word the p word you know mm-hmm. and and whether we would use it in our raps and i was very much against it because um i just i didn't feel like it was justified within my writings and plus i don't feel as someone from a, an indian background um that word is is merited basically for me to say when talking about myself in my raps <laughs> okay i'm giving you a look here right because so I first saw you, the first time I ever came across you, you ever came into my world in any way, was when I saw you on stage <laughs> okay, at right. a, yep. um, a club night we both used to go to. Yeah, we've already spoken about Bombay Bronx at length yeah. before. And so you were part of the rap battles there. Yes. And you were battling somebody. Yes. And you said the P word. I did, yes. Towards them yes. as part of this rap battle. Yes. And so at this point, I was like, What? Because I had been enjoying what was going on. Yes. And then I heard this and I was not impressed. Mm. And in those days, I used to be part of the Radio 1 message boards. Yes. Bobby and Nihal's message board in particular. Yes. And I wrote a review, as I used to do every month, I wrote a review of what I had seen at Bronx. Mm -hmm. And I called you out on it. Yeah. And I genuinely really disliked you and your music at that point. Of course. Because I was like, who the fuck does this guy think he is? Yes. He could have... Because with rap battles, I understand you tear somebody apart, right? Yeah. You roast them properly. But I was like, there's so many other things that were wrong with this guy. Why did you have to pick that one particular thing? Yeah. And I was still on my... Like, I just moved down from Newcastle at that point. And so I was still like on my kind of like... Londoners are so segregated. I was on my high horse about it all. And just, you know, everybody hates everybody. And we're not like that in Newcastle. We're one massive community and everything's lovely and la-di-da. Yeah. And fuck Londoners. Basically, it's kind of the the mentality I had at that point. And then you did that. And I was just like, see, I'm right. Yeah. No, I, well, like I said, you and also a number of other people, um, you know, call me out basically on it. Um, you know, I apologize at the time uh, across the message board. Um, and for me, and I've got to still say it, and I'm still not justifying what I said in my decision making. Don't do a BBC. I'm not going to do a BBC, no. But my point that I made at that time, which I still make to this day, and something that I speak about every week on this podcast, is that I don't differentiate between our different cultures. So we're talking about Indians, Pakistanis, Bangladeshis, Sri Lankans, Nepalese. We're all Asian to me. So when me saying that word wasn't supposed specifically a racial slur at him because then I'm being racist on myself. It was the fact that he was Pakistani. And, you know, I obviously used the P word, but in my head of heads, I never looked at it as a racial slur to him being Pakistani because he's an Asian just like I am. And so the fact that it went 
like to that level of people going, oh my God, he's racist against Pakistanis for saying it. Like, I didn't say you were being racist. No, but that's what, I just thought like, it was just like, a, you know, that typical India Pakistan like stuff that you hear. And I hear it a lot in London, a lot. And I was I didn't come from that world. I'd never heard it really being said, basically because my, my family lived with a Pakistani family for a long time anyway. Yeah. So I was just like, I don't understand this. Yeah. And and when I was in London, I just was like, oh my God, so many people think this way. Yeah. And so I was just like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it in music. And what are you doing on this stage that you've, you know, you've invaded the night club that I go to mm. and now you're bringing your bullshit with you yeah. all this politics and so I was really offended by it but that's the thing it's because people took it in a politically racial way and it was completely not what that like rap was about it was me dissing another guy and it's crazy because like that word fair enough I understand the divisiveness of it but it wasn't for me it wasn't a, a, a word that should have divided our communities because we're all for me under that same umbrella we're all there under the same bracket so if i'm dissing him using that word i'm dissing myself using that word and so that's what i found i kind of not disappointing was was the fact that um you know so many um people were jumping on the the racial side of that word and i never felt like that when i was saying it in terms of it's a, a word that's got racial gravitas to it you know it's it's the same it's an abbreviation of you know the Pakistan, the word Pakistan, obviously, um, and that's why that's why I used it because it it basically worked in that same bracket. And I feel, um, you know, obviously I was called out for it, justifiably so. I apologise for it because that's not the context in which I was using that word. Um, and thankfully, you know, people understood it um, what I was trying to say. Um, and me and the guy, uh, I can't remember his name, it was MC Messi you know, we chatted about it and it was, it wasn't even a thing. And I didn't even realize at the time that it would be taken to that kind of context. And if I had, then I would never have used that word. So, um, up yours, Jojo B. <laughs> I'm still um, not convinced and I still stand by my original thoughts. And, but you know what? I married you. So I forgave yeah, you and, in the and, end. And, and all I was saying, um, and, and, and I genuinely hated you at the time. I thought you were shit at the time. <laughs> I still hate you, um, for it, obviously, you know, but unfortunately I married you. So there's not much I can do about that shit. Um, yeah, no, like I said, and plus this happened a long time ago when it I was, was still a, a young ago. lad, basically like a little bit still naive, a little bit more. No common sense. Yeah, absolutely. No, I know I'll wholeheartedly say it. Um, you know, that was a stupid thing for me to do. It was a stupid thing to say. Um, it was a freestyle in the heat at the moment and um, it didn't reflect my thought process. Um, and at the time I was just, you know, a young MC, whereas now I'm an old man that's a little bit more wise. And um, and that's reflected week in, week out on this podcast when I'm trying to change that narrative. How would you feel if Bubs, when he's older, comes home and says it or says it in front of us for whatever reason? Well, I'd like to hope that we will be doing enough in the teachings as, as us as parents to, um, you know, to show him the rights and wrongs of racial slurs, specifically that word, because we've got to make sure that if someone does say it to him in the future, that he understands what it is and goes about the appropriate actions accordingly by throwing them a hadouken or a tiger uppercut. Someone called me that when I was in primary school. So mm. my primary school was the most liberal, wonderful primary school where we got taught about everything and everyone and all cultures and everything, even if those cultures didn't 
exist within our primary school. We got taught about them anyway. And there was this girl in my in my class. I must have been, it must have been like year four, maybe year five. And she had anger issues mm. and we were lining up outside our classroom to go somewhere and she had one of her hissy fits and I went over to see if she was okay because mm. I was that kind of girl. I'd be like, are you all right? And she said, go away, you P word mm. in front of my whole class. Dear my me. teacher was somewhere down the end of the corridor. So she didn't hear this. I'm not joking. Like every kid in my class went up to the teacher and said, oh, she just said this. Yeah. I wasn't going to say anything. Mm. Genuinely, I was not going to tell the teacher because I, even at that age, I had heard that word, not in school, outside of school. I had heard that we had a shop in an area where that word was used against us on a regular basis. Mm. And, and I was partly desensitized and partly embarrassed yeah. that she had called me that. But the kids in my class were not having it. And they were majority white. They went up and told the teacher. And that's when I learned that I'm not the only person who realizes that this word is wrong. That there are kids out there who are not the same as me, but they know that they can't, they, they, that word is wrong and they can't say that and that yeah. nobody else can say that. And it was yeah. wrong to say it towards me. And I was just like, I was really touched that day. <laughs> yeah. And I, it's a really clear memory in my mind. I don't think anyone else would remember it from my class, yeah. but they had my back that day and it was really nice. Yeah, well, you know, hopefully that's a reflection on today's society, I guess, with kids. Um, you know, I, I don't know how much this word is still used. Um, you know, I'd like to hope that it's not as um, aggressively used as it was basically in the 60s and 70s, 80s, even early 90s, yeah. I guess. Um, but, you know, we don't live in those areas where it's, um, it's such a diverse mixes of community um, where you're the minority, basically. You know, I've, I've always grown up in areas where, you know, the, unfortunately, the British Asian communities are the majority. Um, and so uh, to to hear it being said on the streets over here would just be like a, a like a twilight zone moment. Like, did that just happen? Well, let's see what Newcastle's like next time we go up. Well, exactly. Yeah. Newcastle's not getting any better. Um, as is the case with a lot of other big cities across the UK, especially now with Tory MP Craig Whitaker blaming the BAME communities for the lockdowns currently in Greater Manchester and parts of the Yorkshire area, saying that they've not been adhering to the um, lockdown rules. And so all that's done now is to potentially divide communities even more in those, in those cities. Um, and so, yeah, like racial tensions and, and hatred are still still quite apparent basically here in the uk and um that word i'm I'm assuming is is still used um you know more than likely and the government will constantly stoke racial tension in areas wherever they can using whatever whatever reason they possibly can find because it then divide and conquer yeah you know yeah. and it will it will distract you from what really matters and the fact that they fucked up hmm. massively and that's why people are still catching COVID and still dying from it yeah. massively on a daily basis. They don't report the numbers like they don't have daily briefings. There's still hundreds of people dying. Exactly. Um, but they will use whatever, whatever they can, whatever tactic they can to create division. Mm. And we must 
remember that they are the ones to blame. Yeah, of course. They are the ones who have done this. Yes. Not us, not specific communities. There will be a lot of non-Muslims who will be looking at the timing of the lockdown on the eve of Eid and say, well, well, we know who to blame, don't we? Exactly. And that is not how we should be thinking within our own community as well. We should not be blaming the Muslim members of our community. What we need to do is keep our eye on the ball and remember the people in charge are the ones who are to blame for the the absolute chaos that this has caused within this country and all of the problems that are happening now with the economy and everything else because there'll be a lot of people who have business within Mm. our community who are are massively affected. You must remember that the people to blame are the government. Here, here. Joseph P um, summed it up right there quite eloquently. And to coin a phrase that I haven't used for a very, very long time here on the Native Immigrants, but which is extremely apt right now, fight the power, fuck the man. Yes. But that is it from this episode of the Native Immigrants. We'll be back next week with more of the same I'm Swami Barakas. And I'm Jojo B. And we'll see you all then, people. Peace.